right, you guys. Moving right along. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, before I really get rolling this morning, the two hours that I promised you a second ago, two hours and five minutes, can we cut it down a little bit more? All right. I just want to tell you I got the best job in the world. I got the best job on the planet. Um, I get to share God's words and God's message every Sunday morning. And not only that, I get to do it again on Tuesday morning with our adult Bible study. Um, You heard us talking about Wednesday night. I mean, that's an amazing time to share the gospel and share God's words. Sometimes the band is nice enough to let me play along with them. So there's a lot of things going on, and there's a lot of uh, prep time that goes into every one of those. And so what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that um, the time that I spend in the Bible and the time I spend studying is very valuable to me. And I think that's how God looks at it, too. He looks at the Bible and he says, you know, there's a lot of very valuable information in here. But sometimes we can be going too quick. Sometimes we're going so fast that we miss the point of what he's trying to talk to us about. Um, Take this Sunday, for example. Um, Preparing for this Sunday, today's kind of a wild card. Um, If you keep up with the church calendar, um, last week was All Saints Day. The week before that was Reformation Sunday. Next Sunday is Christ the King Sunday. You'd be like, who knew that one? Today is sandwiched and kind of nestled in the middle. So we have today, I almost called the message today uh, Sunday the 13th, but I thought, well, maybe it's something better than that, right? Something, it is uh, the 23rd week of Pentecost, for those of you keeping score at home, by the way. So like I said, kind of a wild card, a bridge between All Saints Day and Christ the King Sunday. Now, again, the reason I talk about uh, the schedule that I go through is because, like I said, my time, my study time is very valuable, and it's, it kind of streamlines how I read the Bible, I'm not so much looking for how much I can read, but I'm looking for how much I can get out of what I read. And I think that's a way that we all need to be uh, looking at that. And it doesn't matter what Bible we're reading. We could be reading these first grade Bibles. We could be reading the the Bibles that our third graders got. We could be reading the Bible that's in the pew in front of you or the one that's in my hand right here. We've got to read it for everything that it's got and everything that it's it's talking about or telling us. And we've got to be, um, again, with that precious time, Uh, We've got to talk about what God's purpose is and what God's message is in the Bible. That's what we've got to be doing. That's the lens we've got to read the Bible through. What's his purpose? What's his message? And his purpose and message, by the way, are one and the same. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the main purpose. He's the main point. He's the main message in the Bible. So when we look at the words in the Bible, we look at the stories, we look at the lessons, we look at the promises, we've got to always relate them back to Jesus. If we're not doing that, we're missing the point. And especially when we're looking at the Old Testament. Now, I say especially the Old Testament for two reasons. Number one, Jesus is a little more obvious in the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at the Old Testament this morning. We're going to be looking at a story that took place in the Old Testament. Maybe some of you heard the historical account that um, Nathan read about here a second ago, a few minutes ago. Um, That event took place about 3,000 years ago. um, King David lived about 1,000 years before Jesus was on earth. Featuring this king named David, an earthly king um, that God used in amazing ways to accomplish God's goals and God's purpose in his kingdom. Um, During his reign, um, King David expanded the land that the Israelites had by about ten times from when he started started as a king. And yet, although not perfect, obviously, um, David remained a man after God's own heart, as they say. Um, 
even but with all those accomplishments, you know, he could have got a big head about this whole thing, kind of like Saul did. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, it, at this snapshot, this, this moment in history that we're talking about this morning, David was at his peak, at the peak of his life. And yet his mind wasn't on military conquest. It wasn't on kingdom issues. Instead, he was concerned about fulfilling the promises that he had made earlier in life, specifically this one that he made with, uh, with Saul's son, um, um, Jonathan. So now, David, historically speaking, David was the second king of Israel. Saul was the first. Um, Christ the King Sunday coming up. We're going to talk about Saul a little bit next week, so there's a little teaser for you. But we've got to jump back a few squares to understand where we are historically speaking. So Saul was the first king, and what usually happened, you guys know this, I'm sure, what usually happened was um, that king's descendants would be the next successive king, right? Well, that's not what happened here. Um, God did not like the way Saul was going, and so God cut Saul's line off and said, um, David is going to be the next king. And that became obvious to everybody, including Saul, while he was still king. So Saul, in return, did everything he, he could do to try to kill David and get rid of him so that his son, Saul's son, Jonathan, could be the next king. Obviously, it didn't work out that way, right? Okay, so now, here we are. David is king. Saul and Jonathan are, are, have died. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But David now, again, turns his attention back to Jonathan, back to his promise with Jonathan. And so in Psalm Samuel 9, 1, he asks this, uh, the first part of it. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Now, before um, David can go on, his officials, the officials that he's talking to, think they know where he's going with this. I mean, has anybody ever said a sentence to you to think, I know where they're going with this, and then all of a sudden they took a different turn? Because what they're thinking he's going with this is that what would happen back in those days is the new, the new king would wipe out the line, the family line of the old king just to make sure there wasn't any revolt or any rebellion or anything like that. So when David asks a question like this, his officials are thinking what he's really asking, is there anybody else we need to clear out? Did we miss anything? Did we look in every nook and cranny? We've been doing this for a while, let's check it out again. Now, before they th- while they're thinking that, David goes on, but that's not where, where he's going, because when he finishes it, he says, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Again, Jonathan is Saul's son. And even though Saul hated David, you guys are with me, right? Even though Saul hated David, Jonathan loved him like a brother. And they made a covenant. Same thing we talked about over here a second ago. They made a covenant. They made a contract with each other that said, we are going to protect each other, and we're going to protect each other's family from now until the end of time. And David said, I'm going to keep up with that. I'm going to honor that covenant. I'm going to honor that contract. I'm going to honor that deal that I made with Jonathan. So much to the point where that word kindness, that's a Hebrew word hesed. It's a a beautiful and very common word um, in the Old Testament, like 250 times it's used. The best way we can uh, translate it into the New Testament is the word grace, God's grace. Not just kindness, he's talking about God's kindness. He's talking about God's grace, God's gentleness. So he's saying, is there anybody alive that I can show that, that to? Now, some surprising things go on here in this one verse. We could talk about this one verse for a couple of days, actually. Now, remember how I said um, David's officials were thinking they knew where David was going with this, uh, that he wanted to make sure that all those other people were gone. But instead, he says, I'm trying to find somebody in, God, in Saul's family that I can share God's grace with, the same grace that God has given me. He said, no, who can I show that to? Now, as we unpack the rest of this, here's what I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to promise you this, and I'm going to, it's quite a challenge, but... Um, what we have, what we're about to see, might be the greatest illustration of grace in the Old Testament. 
What we're about to see might be the greatest demonstration of grace that exists in the Old Testament. And if we're just reading along, reading the Bible, we might stop on this story. We might get to 2 Samuel at some point, but we might just gloss over the top of this because, like Nathan found out, there's some really hard words to kind of pronounce here, and we might miss the point. That's my point earlier. When we're reading the Bible, we've got to take a minute. We've got to take a minute and go over what God is trying to tell us. We've got to read Jesus. We've got to read the gospel into these words, into these stories, into these historical accounts that God gives us. He didn't just throw it in there just for the sake of having some kind of historical content. No, he put that in there so that we can know him better and we can know our place a little bit better. So when, like I said, when we see things like this, we got to think, why is that in the Bible? Right? Why did God put that in there? And then we have to apply ourselves. We have to put ourselves into that narrative. Because if we don't do that, we're missing the point. If we think the Bible was written a long time ago for somebody else, by somebody else, and for, that, then we miss the point. We've got to understand that the Bible was written for you. That we need to see ourselves in these stories. We need to put ourselves in these shoes. We need to walk around in this dust and breathe this air and experience that hot sun that these guys were. And then we also have to say, where's Jesus in this story? Especially when we're looking in the Old Testament. Where's the gospel? Where's Jesus? Where's the, where's the Messiah? And spoiler alert, you're about to see a picture of the Messiah in David. You're going to see a picture of you, the sinner, in this Mephibosheth guy. And in this entire historical account that we're going to look at, we're going to see this, the picture of salvation according to God. Salvation according to God, not according to us. We'll be reminded again why God's grace is so truly amazing. Amen to any of this? You guys with me or not? First thing I want to do, three classic, I want to go classic education here this morning. First thing I want to look at is how is God's grace comes to me. And I want you to actually say those words to me. Say those. God's grace comes to me. You sound like my youth group. God's grace. Say it. God's grace comes to me. Yeah. So do we believe that? God's grace comes to me. So now answering David's question, the servant of Saul comes forward, right? Saul's been long dead, but a servant of Saul's comes up, and he says, well, anybody knows if anybody's still alive in Saul's family, it's going to be his head servant. So if we look at verse 2 and 3, he summoned a man named Ziva, uh, David, summoned a man named Ziva, been one of Saul's servants. That's you, right? He said, yeah, that's me. Then the king asked him, anybody from Saul's family still alive? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. Oh, by the way, he's crippled in both feet. Okay, so the plot thickens. And as the first graders would say, dun, 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 the plot thickens here. Because this could still be an elaborate trap, right? Saul could be, or I mean, David could be saying, oh, yeah, I got any, uh, I want to show some kindness to them. And then my kindness is going to be, I'm going to kill them quickly instead of slowly, right? So now this Ziba guy, he's got to think, am I going to sell these people out? Or am I going to just lay back and, you know, just let this happen and play dumb? Also keep in mind, um, the name Mephibosheth means a shameful thing. It kind of paints, starts painting a picture of where this guy is and, and where we're going with this. The story tells us um, that this guy has, is crippled in both feet. Um, he was injured, by the way, the day that um, his father, Jonathan, and Saul, they both died on the same day in the same battle. And then when word got back to their house, it was, they ran. It was like every man for themselves. They ran for their lives, literally. Um, Mephibosheth was about five years old at the time, and his nurse was carrying him and then tripped and fell, and he fell on the ground, and um, that crippled in both feet. That Hebrew word is a little ambiguous. We don't know if it's legs, lower extremities is literally the, the translation for it. Point is, he can't walk. Okay, so why is he telling him that, right? 
Why is he telling them that? He got dropped, and he says, no, he, he can't come to you. You're going to have to go to him. And then he says, okay, in verse 4, he says, all right, where is he? King asked, in Lodavar, Ziba told him, the home of Makar and Emil. Okay, so verse 4, the king asks, uh, where is he? He's told Lodavar. Now, Lodavar is mentioned a couple of times in Scripture, and it's never in a good way. Um, this literal translation means no pasture or no sheep. Um, in the book of Amos, uh, Amos, it's referred to as nothing town. Um, they came to Amos, they said, hey, we conquered Lodavar. And he said, well, congratulations, you have conquered nothing. Absolutely nothing is the way he says it. A town in the middle of nowhere. And then, are you following me? Think about this for a second. Here's the, the grandson of the former king. He's in line for heir to the throne. Now, he's not in a, it's not a short line for him. He'd be, he'd be on the big picture, though. He'd be in there someplace. And if he's the only living relative, then he's the one, right? But he has no hope of going anywhere. He considers himself a nobody. Middle of nowhere. No hope of ever getting anywhere or getting better on his own. But then, the unthinkable happens. The king comes calling. The king calls his name. Not to give him what he's expecting. What he's expecting is to be killed because of his relationship with Saul. Right? But instead, David comes to him in a way that the same way that God approaches us. He approaches him with grace. Right? God's grace comes to me. The second point I want you to say with me is God's grace accepts me. Grace accepts me. Yeah, a little louder on this one. God's grace, grace accepts me. Right, thank you. Do we, do we believe these things that we're saying? God's grace comes to me. God's grace accepts, accepts me for who I am. Now, at this point in history, David's been king for about 20 years. Like I said, incredibly um, successful. We've never had a king that has done the things that he has done, and he might be the best king of all time anywhere. But Shephatheth had been hiding this whole time. 20 years, he'd been hiding this whole time. And then that knock came on the door that he feared. But instead of getting what he thought, what society said he was probably going to get, that death, no, that's not what he got, Right? Getting that death, I just want you to think about this biblically, you know, from the gospel. Getting that death would have been what we would call justice, even though it doesn't sound like it. The word justice is, de uh, is defined by getting what you deserve, right? That's why we call it the justice system, getting what you deserve. What he deserved and what he was probably going to get was death. Mercy is the complete opposite of that. Mercy is not getting what you deserve that punishment, right? And that's where he is right now. So he doesn't need God's justice or King David's justice. He doesn't need King David's mercy because mercy has put him where he is right now, a nobody in the middle of nowhere, right? He calls himself a dog. He calls himself a dead dog here. We're going to talk about that in a second. That would have left him in that same condition. What he needed, though, was grace. The definition of the word grace is getting what you don't deserve. Getting those things that you don't deserve. That's why we call it God's grace. Now, quick reminder here that David had to go to him, right? The same way that Jesus comes to us. And just like that, just like the king knew that this guy was broken and unable to come, God knows that we are broken and in need of a savior. And he sends him to us, that Messiah, that will come to us and give us God's grace. God accepts us as we are, the way we are. And this story just keeps getting better and better. We talk about God's grace one more time. God's grace adopts me. A little slow on the uptake back there. Okay, God's grace adopts me, though, right? 
So God's grace comes to me, God's grace accepts me, God's grace adopts me. What are we talking about here? Because this comes in the moment of truth. Mephibosheth comes before the king, right? This could still be a trap. This could still be a trick. So he comes before the king, bows down to pay honor, and David says those words that Jesus spoke so many times. Verse 7, he said, David says to him, don't be afraid. He said, I intend to show you kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Then he says, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give you all the property that once belonged to you and your grandfather saw where you'll eat here at the king's table. But he starts with, don't be afraid. Do you realize that that's the most common phrase that comes out of Jesus' lips? Fear not, is how he says it. Fear not. And by the way, that's a command. Fear not. Look at this. It's got an exclamation point behind it. Don't be afraid. That's a command. And that command appears in every book of the Bible, by the way. Don't be afraid, fear not, appears in every book of the Bible. You think that's a golden rule here? Are we getting this? Are we relating this back to the gospel message? Back to the actions of David? He's not doing this because of Mephibosheth. He's not doing it because of what he did. He's doing it because of Jonathan. He says right there, I'm showing you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Just like God offers his grace, not because of what we do, not because of who we are, not because of what we do. But God adopts us into his household, the same way Mephibosheth was uh, adopted into David's place. He didn't think very much of himself. Remember, he called himself a dog. He said, I don't deserve this. Well, we don't deserve it either. Are we willing to call ourselves a dead dog in front of the king or not? But that's where Mephibosheth, he says, I'm, I know where I am. I understand that I need this grace that comes from you and you alone. The most telling verse is verse 11, second half of that verse. It says, from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table. Like what? One of the king's own sons who's been adopted into this family. Now I ask you, what did Mephibosheth do to deserve that grace that David offered to him? Aside from being Jonathan's son, he did absolutely nothing. It's the same with us and God. What have we done to deserve God's grace? Aside from, being, from belonging to Jesus, we've done absolutely nothing. And there's nothing we can do to deserve God's grace. But God still extends that invitation also provides the support. He also provides the need in us to follow and trust in him. Now here's the deal. Mephibosheth could have turned down that offer. He could have decided he didn't trust David, refused to come to the table, and then he would have missed out on all the benefits that came with that. And there's no getting around this part that I'm going to tell you because you have that same choice as well. God has offered us the gift of grace. The question is, have you accepted it? Have you let Jesus into your heart as king, the king of your heart? The choice is yours. The decision is yours. Here's the deal. Whether you're making that decision for the first time or renewing it for the hundredth time, my challenge to you is the same. Live into God's grace and trust his words. Say it again. Live into God's grace and trust his words. Now I'll say amen. Amen? All right, please stand with me.